to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back for another week. There's been a lot that's happened in the last week. It's been a bit of, bit of a big one, so let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it, taking you through this wide variety of Australian women's football topics is me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian Wilkes, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington. But before we get into the real juicy stuff, we must start as we always do with some you love to see it. So Angela, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? Yeah, I do. Ah, you love to see Tamika Yellow score in her first game play for our team. <laughs> oh my God, it was such a good goal as well. Um, she... I think that she scored twice, but apparently the second one was uh, counted as an own goal. I know, Anna. I know. Outrageous. And it's genuinely breaking news to me. I didn't realise. <laughs> but I w- the first one, I think, yeah, I'm very upset about that. But the first goal, lovely. Um, so Katie Longhurst, like, basically hoofs it from behind halfway. Yallop sprints to get on the end of it, is shoulder to shoulder with a Leicester defender. And we know that she can take shots from far. So I sort of, you would expect her to take it a little bit earlier, but she waited for the goalkeeper to come out and then just like, boop, just popped it, just popped it around. Oh, lovely stuff. And then, yes, um, she did also play a major role in um, West Ham's fourth. I know, fourth, four goals, guys. Fourth goal. Um, A bit more of that Tamika Yallop style um Hasegawa did this lovely little chip over and she just you know emerged out of nowhere to head it goalward um and yeah that was attributed as an own goal but in my heart that is that's a, a brace for Meeks so wonderful stuff um just so stoked to see what she's going to get up to for the rest of the season what a great start you love to see it we do love to see it and just the thing about makes at club level is the fact that we get to see her just do things week in week out and it's like I love this and especially if it's not you know if it's for your team great if it's for a team you don't have any kind of ill feelings towards it's also great but obviously people who aren't into West Ham that's no good for them but anyway not the point Sam are you love to see it please Speaking of Matilda's scoring in the FAWSL, their debut goals, my you love to see it this week was Emily Gilnick scoring her debut goal for Aston Villa. It was sort of a weirdly similar goal to Tamika Yallop as well, except it happened on the opposite side of the field. She just shoves her defender off her and gets in behind the line, charges towards goal, opens up her hips and just clips this beautiful ball around the goalkeeper and into the far corner of the net. It was so, and she was really good that game as well. She was industrious. She was getting involved. She was, she's, I think she's growing into this league and she's finding that she is actually really well suited to it, which I don't think she believed up until quite recently. And particularly off the back of her performance for the Matildas against Ireland, I think this is exactly the kind of response that, uh, say, a Tony Gustafson would love to see as well. So tall forwards, doing it for the gals. Gilnick scoring her debut goal for Aston Villa. You love to see it. We love to see it immensely. And Harrow, are you love to see it? You'll be shocked. Uh, it's Sam Kerr doing the thing again. I, I think I backed her in pre this FAWSL season to go around again and contend for the golden boot again. And she is doing just that. Um, great assist to set up Frank Kirby for their first, um, for Chelsea's first against Manchester United in that 6-1 thumping. And then she scored to herself. Uh, I mean, the second one was pretty clearly offside, um, which just proves 
it is all swings and roundabouts and we don't need VAR because uh, Chelsea missed out um, thanks to VAR against Arsenal earlier in the season. So, you know what? They all count. So Sam Kerr assist, a couple of goals, once again making an impact and showing just how good she is. And as Sam said, just shaking off that island result, you love to see it. I feel like we're also careening. I know it's early days, but we're careening towards another I was right moment for you, Anna. Um, we'll get into it later, but the Man, the man City probably, no, that's not happening. Yikes. We might all be wrong if Arsenal keep this up. That's, that's true. Mm. Alternatively, none of us were right. It's, I mean, it's a real win win for me. Either I was right or none of us were right. So <laughs> <laughs> love to see it. Aussie scoring, we always love to see it, but we've done some you love to see it. So now let's get into the big news of the day. It's 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 huge, actually. The leagues are officially rebranding. So instead of the A-League and the W-League, we will have the A-League men's and the A-League women's. It's like, it's... I don't even have words, so I would love everyone else's initial reactions because obviously you're all a lot more eloquent than I am in this time. So please, Angela, you've got your hand up. Please share some initial thoughts and feelings. I have more in-depth thoughts and feelings than this, but as you were saying that, I was just thinking, besties, I don't have the brain cells for A-League men's, A-League women's. There's a reason we shortened it to the dub, okay? We like to keep things concise. All right, we, we don't need any more hard drive space taken up in here. And so I'm just, on that practicality, and we that is one of the points as well, the practicality of A-League men's and A-League women's and um, what, what will be left off and what will be kept will be an interesting thing moving forward. But happy to uh, handball this to, is that an AFL term? What's that thing? Sharing it. We were talking about AFL a lot before. Oh my god! Oh, no, you were the first time. <laughs> You're telling on an AFL podcaster just based on that single line. Apologies anyway. to our podcast friends here at ESPN. <laughs> anyway, I'll hand it over to someone else to to kick things off with the juicy stuff. Yeah. Look. Um, my my initial reaction is that I don't love it. Uh, I don't love it for a number of reasons, even though I understand it, right? So the rationale is that in this new era for the professional leagues in Australia, the APL are wanting to do an entire reset. They're wanting to build equality into all aspects of these competitions. Their tagline from the beginning was, it's not men's football, it's not women's football, it's just football. And this rebrand folds into that pretty perfectly. It's the one of the first leagues, one of the first sports even in Australia to have senior professional leagues that are going to be referenced in this way, that that's not an, an A-league and a W-league, things that are specifically and uniquely different. They're two iterations of the same league, A-leagues. But when I, when I first saw it and when I first listened to the justification for it to me you know a league and a leagues like it's all it already has a connotation to it right a leagues is 
the A-League. It is the men's Australian competition. It is. It has its history. It has its culture. It has its own identity. So by changing the A-League to the A-Leagues, the men's competition isn't really having to sacrifice anything in this, right? Its identity is not necessarily being challenged here. They're not having to reshape anything. But the W League is very different. The W League is like that name is no longer existing. That is, it's not that anymore. The W League's identity is having to completely shift and its name is having to completely change in order to fit underneath this new umbrella. And I understand that A Leagues now means Australian leagues. I get that. But right now, that's not what it means. And that's not what it means to the community. It's not what it means to people outside of the community who know very little about football. So they're going to see the name A-Leagues and they're going to be like, oh, it's A-League. Like it's the men's, right? But that's, again, like that is the, uh, that's what the APL want to change, right? That is the, that is the, the purpose of this. They're wanting to change the vocabulary. They're wanting to change the language of football to make it more inclusive, to make it so that when we refer to the A-Leagues, we refer to both. So like, I, I get it, but I, as you said, Angela, like the practicalities of it, I think are the things that concern me. Like how are we actually going to refer to these competitions now? I feel like personally, I'm still going to call it the dub, even though it's not going to be the W League. Because again, like Australian sports fans in particular, I think really love shorthand. They don't want to call a competition the Australian, like the A-League's women's, the A-League's men's. They want to call it something snappy. They want to call it something that they can bring up in pub conversations, something that they can text to a friend. That's not going to be that, right? And so if we take that one step further, then we have to ask, okay, so how is the men's competition going to be referred to? It's going to be referred to as the A-League right? Because that's how it's always been referred to. And so, and so you sort of start to see actually what the ramifications of this decision are going to be in that some people are just going to cement themselves in what the things were already called in the first place. And so it almost, it defeats the purpose of the whole rebranding in a way. So yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on it. I understand it. I'm not sold on it. And I'm curious to see larger sort of discussions from the community about how they feel about it. Apparently the community was consulted. Um, I'd be very curious, anyone listening, if you were consulted about this, if you're part of a fan group, for example, if you're part of the media, were you consulted about this rebranding? Let us know, because I'm, I'm really curious about this. I wasn't consulted. I don't think anyone in this podcast was consulted. Um, so yeah, so I'm sorry. I've been rambling a bit. I'll throw to to Harrow because Harrow, you're you've you were sort of part of this whole process with with me as well, and and you know we were in the meet in the in the uh, the media briefing and and had the the um the sort of the, the slides and stuff played for us and the explanation given. So I'm curious to hear what you think. Sam, I can't believe you expect something eloquent. I was just going to chip in to say that they can take the name, the dub from my cold dead hands because <laughs> I didn't play a big role in coming up with it for nothing. I will never stop calling it the dub. <laughs> we can never stop calling it dub at the pub either. Right. Um, dub I at mean, the it's pub, still... grub, grub at the dub. Like these are the things. Oh, these are very important things to us. And I think the fact that it is still the, a women's league, we can still get away with calling it the dub. And I think we'll forever call it that. Um, yeah, my concern was the same as yours, Sam, in the sense it feels like it is the W League. And they also mentioned the Y League and the A League. Um being, I guess, absorbed into a brand rather than it all being one new thing. And I think that's, yeah, that's what interests me in terms of how it will be received because 
as you say, Sam, you said it so well, uh, the W League has its own identity, it has its own followers, it has its own history and it's an important one and it's an iconic one and players, staff, fans, coaches, whoever around the world know it as the W League. So it's, it is going to be interesting to me how it is received and from, I guess, a professional sense, I'm going to be interested to see what the conversations are in, I guess, newsrooms around the country in terms of how it's referred to. I mean, a lot of the times you would say A-League, I guess you would say A-League women or A-League men first, and then you'd probably abbreviate it. So what, the ALM and the ALWA? Like, like seriously. And the, like when I'm you, very curious It's an interesting point, Harrow, because like when you ask that question, like how as media do we actually refer to this? Because when you're writing copy, you only have so many words, right? And this is this is clunky. This is clunky language. It's like it's a number of extra syllables that you have to shove into something that can be easily abbreviated. And it was it was much easier to refer to in its previous iterations. And the explanation we were given was that the larger context of the pieces that we're writing are should be enough but I feel like that is actually not enough because we still have to refer to it you know what I mean and we still have to to refer to it in non-written formats as well formats like podcasts formats like radio and tv like there's still real clunky things to say and they don't roll off the tongue well they're going to be very easily confused I think because you both you start both actually all all three or even all four competitions the the men's league the women's league the youth league and the e-league all of them start with this phrase A-leagues and the immediate connotation that you have when you say that word is men's. And so that's my, that's my problem with that is that people are just going to like, people are just going to focus on that. That's going to be the lingering effect of that, that, that phrase, you know? Um, so yeah, so I'm not, I'm uh, yeah, I'm, but again, like, I get it. And maybe it is just that because we are so invested in this competition and in this sport, we are quite protective of it. You know, this is a, this is a league that has flourished despite the game around it. It's a community that has grown despite the challenges that the sport has put in front of it. And so because of that, I feel like myself, all of us and the community more largely are quite protective of this. And I, I, I very much feel that. I feel like this is my baby and these are people making decisions who haven't really given much of a shit about it previously. And now they're sort of sweeping and saying, yeah, like we've got all these great ideas and we've, we're doing what's best for the game. Like, oh, okay, but, you know, you need to really prove it now. I think going back to, I guess, I was about to say linguistics. I think that's far too complex <laughs> a field to be referring to what I'm about to say. But they, what could they not have done men's A-League and women's A-League and you could have had Mal and Wow and they could have been the mascots or Mally and Wally. Like, totally. <laughs> see, I should have been consulted. Would they be like, would they be like <laughs> footballs with faces on them, Angela? Yes. Yes. And one would hope that the wow would not have massive eyelashes, eyelashes. and titties <laughs> to, <laughs> to indicate that she is indeed a girl football. Like when Adelaide won the AFLW um, uh, premiership, the cartoon that got done of it where it was a, the crow and they put a mouth on it like grinning and then also the beak and I think they put lipstick on the they beak. <laughs> No good, no good. I think Anna is a big friend, um, big fan of Etty from the 2019 World Cup. I think that's a great example of how you can do a mascot 
um, that's gendered but not like sexualized. Do you reckon Eddie's got anything going on at the moment? Do you reckon she'd be interested in the move down under? Is Eddie a freelancer? Can we get her on board? <laughs> oh, she didn't. Is she if you're listening, in the pen name Wally. Wally. <laughs> Eddie, we're at the far post pod at gmail.com. Drop <laughs> us a line if uh, if you're not doing anything and you feel like coming on down. Come on down. No, that's silly. This, but um, this is the other thing, right? Like it, you, you raise a good point there in terms of linguistics, Angelo. Is like why is it that the women's competition is the one that has to change its name? Because the the A League is not changing its name, it's it's still A Leagues, right? They don't have to do anything yet. It's the W League, so why couldn't it be reversed? If if the W League could keep its name because it is iconic, it it does have meaning, it does have memories attached to it. Why couldn't the A League become the M League, the Men's League, and the Women's League and the Youth League? Why couldn't that happen? Because there is a it's a brand because it's got history because blah blah all the same things that we're talking about from the women's perspective are probably the reason why they didn't think about changing the name for the men's and that's what's really frustrating about it I think it's also a missed opportunity in the sense that if this is a big refresh I don't really follow the A-League that closely but you don't have to to see the sort of rhetoric around the league is dying and like all of that stuff Um, And if we want to bring new fans to all of these leagues into the fold, perhaps giving it a new name to the men's league might be an option. I feel like that's too controversial though. Um, And you're right. It is the women, it's the women's league that is having the history attached to that name taken from it. And from a sort of sentimental point of view, when you look at, so the W league is going into its 14th season And when you look at the trials and tribulations that have happened around the world to sustain women's football leagues, like the US is a great example of that, the many iterations of semi-professional and professional leagues they've had to go through to arrive at the NWSL. I don't know. It's such such an achievement that the W League has sustained itself for this long. And I, I feel like sad that that sort of, it's still the same league. Like it's still going to have the same fans and nothing much is going to change, but I don't know. It makes me sad on that level. Um, going back to the mascot thing, I just remembered that we had two mascots in Melbourne Uni called Mer and Kerr, and um, we don't know where one of them's gone. So if anyone's seen a big plastic big cow, just anywhere, any tip-offs, let me know. Are you foolish about finding it? Pardon? <laughs> Well, they pay the big bucks. <laughs> Last scene, hoofing the ball around. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, my my mind's all in on like beef puns now. <laughs> no, on a on a serious note, um, it was interesting to see um, on social media on um, Tuesday evening, like clearly. A-League and W-League, oh, I'm doing it already. Like players from both leagues were um, encouraged to um, to post like that there's something big coming, um, you know, it's ex- there's something exciting coming and credit to all of them for not accidentally including the prompt from <laughs> Tom to say, write something like this, there's something big coming. Um, a social media manager's nightmare. Uh, so clearly they've got players on board to do this stuff and I think one thing that is a positive is I've seen 
um, women's players as well as men's players doing this. And I imagine that is something that must be really exciting for players to feel like they are all on the journey together, so that they've all been involved in this, that it's not we're doing something drastic to the A-League. Oh, oh, the W-League as well, I guess. Like it's, I have enjoyed actually seeing that element of things that players from both leagues have been have been included. Um, it's clear. It is clearly as much as we have talked about like the things that we query. It's good to see that they are trying to bring everyone along at the same time and make these changes. Not just be like, look at this exciting thing that's happening to the A League, and then media have to ask, oh, so what are you going to do with the W League? <laughs> you know, like it's it is encouraging to see that there's a genuine move to, I guess, make progress with both leagues at the same time or take action that affects both leagues. And it's something that I think has improved a lot um, in, I guess, recently. I, but Sam, I think you said it earlier, like the proof's going to be in the pudding in terms of do we see equal coverage in terms of media, like into, I guess in terms of the internal media from your APL, how we see clubs embrace this, how we see players embrace this, um, what tangible effects will it have going forward? That's, that's going to be interesting as well. I think they are at an exciting sort of reset period in terms of um, new broadcast deal with 10 and Paramount Plus, which is exciting. So I can understand the want and desire to have that sort of branding situation sorted before this new deal, this new, um, I guess, era kicks off for the sport. You know, we've got a, they've got a CBA in place. Um, it sounds like they've worked very closely with the PFA recently, the APL. So it's, I think on the whole, it is it is exciting to see the direction things are going in, but we have to actually see how it comes to fruition to really, really judge how this all plays out. Any more takes? I'm very curious about how people are, are just going to run with this because the APL can be like, yeah, like this is how we're going to refer to the leagues, but the community itself is going to do its own thing. In the same way that we've come up with the dub, in the same way that, you know, all this other, this, this larger vocabulary of Australian football has emerged from the fans. It's I'm very, very curious um, to see how that can, happens. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So you totally. can have all the branding. You can have every article refer to the leagues in the way that you want. But you, you walk down to, let's say, you know, CB Smith Reserve in Faulkner, you ask people, what game are you at? there's a very good chance they're going to say the W League because yep. also some of us are just stubborn and don't like changing things. I said to you three pre-record that I still call Woolworth Safeway. So, like, I still call Marvel Stadium Etihad. Like, I don't like changing things. If it's in me vocab, it's in my vocab. <laughs> but, no, I think, yeah, you guys have explained it well. I think it is going to be a process though and I think that's something that they have alluded to as well right now here and now it's a very fresh decision and it it is kind of shaking our whole worlds upside down so it does feel massive but I do think it's going to be really interesting in five years time in 10 years time in 15 years time is it something we look back on and think why didn't we do this sooner is it something that all of a sudden a whole bunch of other leagues take notice of and follow online obviously there's a big kind of push uh, particularly on Twitter, you know, people uh, differentiating between AFLers, AFLM and AFLW. We've seen recently NRL has or NRL players have done something similar between the M and the W. Are we actually ahead of the curve? I don't know. We're all going to find out. So w- watch this space. Yeah, I think the only team I've seen do 
this similar thing before is the Australian men's and women's cricket teams. I think that's the only one that I've mm. seen in Australian sport do this. And I think they might be right in saying this is the only league. Apologies if I've missed a league here. But yeah, as you say, Marissa, it's just it's exciting to see that they are trying to take this this approach. Uh, how did they differentiate with Big Bash? Uh, that's just standard WBBL and BBL. The W stands for women because women play in the women's <laughs> Big Bash League. Okay. I had high hopes, but okay. Sorry, I love doing it like that. Fun fact, the W stands for women. women. But, um, his name is Harry Styles because his because first name is Harry. <laughs> and his last name is Styles. Literally, literally, though. But also I will just say that with the, the cricket rebrand, obviously now we're all on board with that. But, again, it was the women who had to lose their moniker of Southern Styles, which obviously had a history, had a good mm. story behind it. And <laughs> Anywho. So, yes, we, we have a new name, but we also have a fixture, which is arguably even more exciting because we're not here to talk about names. We're here to talk about actual football and we will get football in December. On December 3rd, the league will kick off. Roni pending, but we've there's been some plans put in motion to hopefully get this league started and going. So we kick off with the Knicks and the Wanderers. It's that Friday. It's a Friday 5 o'clock kickoff, which... I'm not best pleased about. I'm not going to lie to you, but we'll Time for people it. in Wellington, yeah? Yes. Oh, that checks out. Damn it. Not good time for anyone else, though. <laughs> no. I just, that should be the next thing they change. Friday, five o'clock kickoffs. But so anyway, so time zones. Yes. Change time, dub time zone. <laughs> time is fake. Change it, APL. You can do it. I believe in you. Um, but no, we have fixtures. We have a game. We will have the debut of the Wellington Phoenix in the dub. They will be taking on the Wanderers. We've got lots of derbies, two Melbourne derbies, two Sydney derbies in these first four rounds, and the whole kind of comp will work in a conference system. So all the teams based in New South Wales will play each other to get through the first four rounds, and then the best of the rest will be kind of based in Victoria. So very exciting Hopefully it all goes ahead. Hopefully everything continues to progress in a way that allows us to have some dub. But we've also got some other football in Australia to look forward to very, very shortly. The Tillies are coming home. It's coming home, it being the Tillies. We love to see it. They will be taking on Brazil at Combank Stadium because Combank really loves women's football and we love you for that. Combank, thanks for that one. They'll be taking on Brazil on the 23rd and 26th of October. We haven't played Brazil in a while. We went through, like, I think it was from 2014 to 2019. We played them every year. And then obviously, Roni meant we couldn't play them. So stoked that we're back on that train. How are we feeling about Tilly's back home, Tilly's taking on Brazil, all of it? Shame Chloe Legazo is not playing because she's still running rings around Brazil in their nightmares. So <laughs> it is great that to get a game to get games back home on home soil. Um, really proactive stuff from Football Australia working through a plan that basically allows um, both teams to bypass your fourteen day hotel quarantine in favour of a bubble situation where they um, the players and staff etc that are travelling don't come into contact with the general public. I'll be interesting to see, or I would be interested to see what 
that would feel like for the players because it feels like for a lot of them they've not been able to come back home and realistically in this situation they're not going to be able to hug their families or maybe if yes Sam Kerr potentially not even see them given her family is in Perth it I'm a bit intrigued as to what the players actually think of it. I think they'll be wrapped to come home and be on home soil. I imagine there'd be some that would do part of their quarantine here and then potentially stay on and maybe they have less quarantining to do with the play that maybe the playing time is incorporated into that. Just that's me guessing off the back of seeing partial quarantine situations happen in WA, for instance, in the AFL season. Um, yeah, I was, in, I was interested by that. It's, I mean, it's great to have them back on home soil. It's exciting for football to have games back it it still feels like a bit of a fever dream to me because we're all in lockdown at the moment and um I know that it's great to see that obviously vaccination rates are rising and these sorts of things but it does it does still feel a bit strange to me that we are going to have some football back here and I think they're hoping that if this goes to plan and all goes successfully that then they'll be able to I imagine have a Socceroos home world cup qualifier against Saudi Arabia in November and then have the Matildas play that series, that long-awaited series against the US in, I think it's December. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> but it's exciting. And um, if you're going to come back on home soil, what better team to play against than Brazil? Because I feel like when the momentum, the wave of momentum really kicked off around the Matildas after the Tournament of Nations, it's around the time where they played those couple of home games against Brazil in Penrith and uh, Newcastle. And, um, you know, that Penrith one I remember being at and it was it was huge. And that was when the wave of momentum, as I said, really felt like it took hold. You had the Sam Kerr shirt. I mean, the Lucas Neal shirt crossed out for Sam Kerr. You had people really embrace the Matildas. And as much as I sort of said the trepidation around how much interaction can players have with their families, I imagine it will still be special to them to actually get home and do this. And, you know, at some point the world is going to move forwards and, yeah, clearly they're, they're wanting to start getting some football back here. So, yeah, it's exciting. Sam, you're the one that's going to, I mean, be there in the flesh, I would assume. Yeah. Maybe the only one of <laughs> this podcast given border restrictions here. Um, how was, I mean, what's your reaction to it? I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm, number one, as you sort of mentioned there, Harry, I'm really curious about how Football Australia have uh, have negotiated this with the government like this is actually a sport it's gonna be a, a sporting first this is like they have obviously approached new south wales and even the federal government because this requires international travel and they have gone with them gone to them with a proposal for this bubble and if they pull it off it's it's going to be a pretty unprecedented it's going to be a pretty big no pun intended game changer for a lot of other sports as well you can imagine a lot of sports are going to be like oh well if they if they can do that then we can do that you know so that's great. I think it's really good to, and really important to, to sort of lead the way in these in these spaces. And like Brazil is, is also a great team. You know, like they're, they're in pretty good form. They've got some really exciting new players coming through as well, um, starting to transition away from the, the sort of the martyr uh, Cristiano generation into a sort of a new vibrant generation of younger Brazilian players who are picking up that mantle. Everyone remembers that speech that Marta gave after Brazil were knocked out of the Women's World Cup. You know, this is like cry, cry so you can, what is it, cry, cry at the beginning so that you can smile in the end. Wasn't that the line? It was just amazing. And like girls are listening like this is this kind of stuff is happening and I think they're really going to want to make a statement as well because the last couple of times that we've met Brazil we've pretty much steamrolled them 
uh, like in that in that series, especially when they came to Australia, it was pretty embarrassing for them, you know, so they're not going to want a, a rehash of that the next time they visit here. So I think it's going to be a really, really good game. It's going to be a really good test for Gustafsson. It's going to be a good test for these new players as well that he's wanting to blood. Again, feeding into this larger project that the Matildas have got going on of trying to play a number of different teams from different continents, different styles, all that sort of stuff um, in preparation for, for the Asian Cup and for 2023. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked for it. I'm, and I'm really hoping as well that given it is going to be a sporting first, it's going to be the first international matches really uh, that are being played in New South Wales post-lockdown. I have a feeling that it's going to be like massive crowds, if if not possible sellouts, because people in Sydney are desperate for sport, you know, and they're going to come out in in, in, in droves, I think. They might be very in demand tickets, Sam, because surely it's not going to be full house situation. You'd think there's still going to be some level of restrictions. Yeah, in terms probably of distancing. Social distancing yeah. and assigned seats and that sort of thing. So, like, they're going to be probably the hottest ticket in town. Mm. What else to do in Sydney is there? <laughs> you got to get it in, God damn it, every single time. You've got to Wait. know what you're about. And I hope the Tillies get, chan- get a chance to look at the opera house and the bridge. <laughs> That's all we have. That's all we have here. And yes, Sam, you mentioned it's, it is also a good test in terms of um, Tony Gustafson's um, tenure so far. Like they've not had they've not had any home games, as we mentioned. Like not played at home since that qualifier against um, Vietnam here before COVID was really a thing. So it's exciting. They actually get some a proper home crowd behind them, and you saw the influence of that in Dublin the other night. Um, see that when you've seen the FAWSL return, you see if <laughs> crowds are important, home crowds are important. And it'll be good for the players to get that sense of having everyone in their corner because that's what we're looking forward to in 2023, right, is playing in front of a home crowd. Um, I think they could really use some good results, strong results, especially after the Ireland game. We, I mean, we did a very detailed dissection of that. For those that haven't listened yet, worth a listen if you... Want to feel a bit flat about something? Um, <laughs> it's but clearly they need to make their mark, get a good result, show that that attack can get clicking. Hopefully, some of the players that weren't there in that last game are back. Um, Tony Gustafson seemed pretty optimistic that you know it was a good five odd weeks away, but that they would. Yeah, Hayley Razzo, Caitlin Fords, etc., Ellie Carpenter. Um, but I think it would just be such a lift for these players and for Tony, who's not even stepped foot in Australia yet, to actually be able to to do this. It's it's a bit like um, the Socceroos. Harry Sutar's not has played multiple games, scored multiple goals for the Socceroos, and hasn't actually stepped foot in Australia since starting to represent them. I would really like to see, you know, that content where it's like they get dub international players to be like guess the slang but like do that with tony i think that would be cute or like get him to try like tim tams and yes, different snacks, snacks. vegemite yeah. yes but you have to do it the right way like it's like when people give vegemite to like americans and they it eat like food. a spoonful of it and they're like this is horrendous you're awful people <laughs> <laughs> why, why would you do that to them <laughs> I like that our invention of Vegemite is like a reflection of our moral character as a nation as well. It's like, this is disgusting and you are all criminals because of it. <laughs> no, so it's so, so exciting that also <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to have Tilly's in a good time zone as if we didn't have a whole last Olympics. 
in a good time zone, but you know what I mean. It's all very exciting, but obviously there are still some details to be confirmed. So ticketing information, the venue capacities, whether or not you're allowed to enter this game based on your status of vaccine and whatnot, all of that information will come out and we'll obviously share it on our social so you can be informed and up to date and hopefully get your hands on a ticket. But speaking of Tillies, they've continued to kill it in the FAWSL. We mentioned a lot of them in the You Love to See It because they did a lot of things we love to see. But obviously Gilnick's goal was the winner for Aston Villa against Brighton. Uh, Tottenham beat Reading 1-0, but no Kaya Simon, unfortunately. She's done something to her hamstring. We do not love to see that. West Ham defeated Leicester 4-0. It was the Meeks show, and we'd love to see that. And Everton defeated Birmingham 3-1. But those results, while they're important, all results are important, they were not the big results of the weekend. We had Arsenal defeat Man City 5-0 and Chelsea defeat Man United 6-1. We've previously had conversations about boil over results and what it means for the women's game, but it was usually, you know, someone like Chelsea dunking on Bristol, not, you know, basically the top four mauling each other. So let's get into these results. Arsenal 5, Man City nil. What has happened to Manchester City? It's bad. It's real bad. But also, like, before we rip into Manchester City, how about the transformation at Arsenal um, under um, Jonas Adevel? Like, early days, it's like sometimes you you just need a change-up and it's all about making that change at the right time. Um, I think Joe Montemuro realised that. Arsenal probably realised that. They parted ways very amicably, celebrated everything he had done and went, all right, who can we get that is going to bring something different, can take us um, back to that level again? Uh, and they, early days, it looks like they've picked exactly the right person to do that. Like, they are absolutely flying. Like, they're classy. And one thing that I think has definitely helped is the international retirement of Kim Little um, because she's not stretching herself between having to be Scotland's best player and having to be... Arsenal's what top three player and captain and she is just dominating she's everywhere she's scoring goals she's creating them she's marshalling this team and they just they genuinely look like a contender again <laughs> I think it helps that I think we discussed this maybe preseason they look like they've got a more stable um, defensive setup um, having players like Jen Beatty fit um, Leah Williamson I guess more locked into a stable position and obviously Steph Catley we know she's a world-class defender, but also allows Katie McCabe to push higher up the pitch and really make an impact there, which is where, I, to be honest, I think her best attributes lie. Like, they're getting a bit of the best of both worlds at the moment. And the criticism of Arsenal previously has been that they could beat up on small teams, but they couldn't deliver when it counted against the contenders. <laughs> and, you know, they they sort of, it was more a smash and grab against Chelsea, but this was just a comprehensive thrashing like genuinely fantastic they're still in champions league and they're by all means making another run at being a genuine contender again and they're the the early pace setters they're exciting they've got a better spread of goals it's not just Miedema I know she scored early in this one but but there were three other goal scorers with Kim Little um, snagging a couple so they just it's just all clicking 
and hopefully we can see them maintain the rage because it's much better having a, a three-horse race than a two-horse one. Although Man City keep playing like this, they're going to be out of the race before it say, even starts yeah, them. Yeah. I was just, I got a little bit of whiplash because in the, I think I watched the, the mini match. So I, f- I know that you're not meant to forget things like this, but Tobin Heath signing as well. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that's happening. And they've just subbed her on with Iwabuchi as well. Oh, yeah, okay, this Arsenal side is actually stacked. But unlike last year, every, like people aren't injured. This is So I think that's added to the, the scare factor a little bit as well. Um, and don't really have much more to add except Leah Williamson coming into form and Jen Beatty coming back into the fold, like having a more solid defence. Um, and Wobben Moy, who's really developed over this past year as well, that's almost certainly contributed to this. So, yeah, they. I wasn't expecting this storyline from this season, but I am here for it. They look dangerous. They look scary. And now I said that they're going to shit the bed next week or something like that but fingers crossed that they keep this up because it's such entertaining exciting football anyway sam my only qualm with what harrow said just then i mean i I always have a qualm right this is our relationship we i we love each other we adore each other but also if we're not fighting about something it's not really us Kim Little, best player Scotland's got. I think fans of Caroline Weir would have something to say about that. I love Caroline Weir as a player as well, but look how things went on the weekend, hey? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Kim Little's just been doing it for such a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Caroline Weir's pretty sensational. Weir's not a Incredible. legend yet. Kim Little is a legend, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. But I take what you're saying. This isn't our worst conflict, Sam. You two agree all the time. You were literally singing to each other last episode. Tack it in. (laughs) We do it again. Far out. Just manufacturing. But off the back of that as well, you know, speaking to the Man City side of this performance, you know, what's really interesting about this game is that both sides are absolutely heaving with superstars but there's only one of them that seems to have been able to balance them properly. And that's Arsenal. You know, like you saw, Angela, as you said, you saw the subs that Arsenal made, like an Iwabuchi, an Akita Paris, a Tobin Heath. Like these are central starting players in any other side. The fact that Arsenal have them, had the luxury to pull them off the bench is incredible. But you look as well at Man City, like they have some pretty huge names as well. Players coming off the bench who could be starting for any other club, but they just don't seem to click yet. They don't seem to be gelling. And I understand as well, City have a number of injuries. Obviously Lucy Bronze is out for a while. You know, they're losing a couple of key players in central midfield, but you know, this is Manchester City. Like they, they have been stacked for a while. They have a number of really talented young England players who have been growing and growing into this league as they've been, particularly Lauren Hamp, who we're all a massive fan of. You know, they've they've got stuff. They've got they've got the cattle there. But Gareth Taylor just seems to have wrecked them. I don't like this. Is uh, the other issue that I have, I think, is that when like 
Jonas Edeval came to Arsenal from a very developed background in the women's game. He came from Sweden. He came from success. But when, when Gareth Taylor was hired as the senior women's coach for Manchester City, he didn't have any experience. He didn't come from either a senior or a women's background. He was just sort of shuttled up through the, the men's youth system. And then all of a sudden he was there and given that crack. And he's been there for, you would think, long enough now to understand how things should be operating and how who his best players are, what the best system is to be able to utilize them. But it doesn't seem to be working. And this was the kind of game where you really saw that. You saw what happens when a team that is absolutely certain of who they are and how they play comes up against a team that isn't. And they just they just fell apart. Not a, not a banner day for our gal Alana Kennedy, unfortunately, either. Um, oh no, shock, I didn't shocking. want to get. I feel like I'm I'm quite. I'm, no, I like, leave I, this to I'm, me, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I I criticize Alana Kennedy a lot, I think, and I feel like I get a little bit unfair sometimes. But this was actually a game where she had a couple shockers. I mean, the the standout one was obviously the first goal, where just shocking turnover, attempted back pass, just I think just lost sight of where a goalkeeper was, like. I guess mentally, like you picture them that they're there and then they're not. And then all of a sudden Arsenal have the ball and then they have it in the back of the net. And you could tell <laughs> straight away did. And we've seen it quite a few times. You hate to see it. The hands straight to the head, the what have I done um, from poor Alana Kennedy. Um, I feel like not too much else was directly her fault. She was part of, from there, a city backline that just struggled. A back four that looked a bit all at sea, that didn't communicate well. There was... Um, there was one goal where I think it may have been little where they just all sort of backed off and no one really um, really put in the decisive touch or challenge or block or anything that stopped it. They just felt all a bit, yeah, a bit all at sea and certainly that first um, effort from Alana wouldn't have helped. Like it just is a massive hit to your confidence first up and then Arsenal just really went on with it. And as I mentioned before, credit to Arsenal, the way they played, but City were kind of, I guess, shell-shocked in that sense. And, yeah, obviously, Alana was a big part of that. Um, I mean, you do see the dramatic responses straight away on Twitter from people that, you know, people are going to react straight away, especially when you have an absolute howler like Kennedy did have. But I think they will have to have a little bit of patience there because we know that Steph Horton's not been there. Alex Greenwood hasn't played centre-back for that long off the top of my head, has more been used as a full-back in the past, had a pretty good season. Sorry, had a very good season last year. Um, but I'll be interested to see um, how the dynamic will change when Steph Horton comes back into the mix because um, I know speaking to Alana, she was really excited to play alongside her and get have that another experience, really experienced central defender beside her and to sort of find her way. Um, yeah, I mean, not a great not a great start to, to life there. They're already out of the Champions League and they've caught this big hammering. But, yeah, I think now it, it is on Alana Kennedy to try and build some confidence over the next few games. They are going to have games where it's a lot easier and she can have time on the ball and try and get things right. But... Yeah, certainly not the start I think she would have been hoping for there. I think I wonder if moving forward, the big thing for these top teams will be defensive depth as well because Lucy Bronze is still out. So I think she's in, in rehab from a, for a minor injury. Um, is May Morgan as well, like both their best right backs. Yeah, but so they have Georgia Stanway, who is a fantastic player, but not really, typically a right 
back. And so, yeah, if you're sort of cobbling together a defence and you don't have anyone to sort of knock heads in there, I suppose, that you're going to see those those errors or that lack of cohesion. Um, and as well, they're missing Ellie Roebuck in goals um, and she's, you know, provides a lot of direction and organisation. So, yeah, it's it's probably starting there because their attacker is loaded, but I suppose if you just can't figure out how to get it up to that end of the field, you're going to be a bit bit of miss. But, yes, did not did not expect this storyline either. Not did. I don't think anyone did, did they? <laughs> and to be honest, they, as you say, Angela, with that sort of cobbled together defence, they're very much ripe for the picking. And, like, we've just talked up Idabel and Arsenal, like, their attack, their creative players, like it's just the perfect mix, the perfect combination of players to exploit an unsettled defence. And at the end of the day, we we didn't want to see a cop thrashings, but we wanted to see Alana Kennedy take on top attacks, take on top strikers, have to go with Miedema, have to deal with, you know, Kim Little making forward runs or, you know, having to defend in wide areas when necessary. Like we want to see her get better and better as a player. Um, I don't think we anticipated that this sort of result would happen. But, um, yeah, you you got to back in your players to to shrug off these sort of things and hopefully she does come out of it, come out of it stronger and better and, as I said, build some confidence in, in the games that come. I loved how Idaval, like, waited until the very end of the game to just let loose. Like, just have to be sure that we're on here. And then it was, like, that from the Chelsea game, very similar to that. I did love his celebration for Leah Williamson's goal. Like, she is very clearly the heir to a Steph Horton at England level, for example. She was recently given her first nod as captain for the Lionesses. She stepped up really beautifully into that. She's coming into form. She's scoring goals for Arsenal like this. She's commanding. She's calm. She is like, she's the centre-back that I want Alana Kennedy to be, you know, and she's still so young. She's still so young. She still has so much left in her. I just, yeah, and Adaval, you could you could sort of just tell, and with the Kim Little goals as well, you could just tell how deeply invested he is in this team and in these players. In the same way that whenever, you know, one of the Matildas scored, you saw Gustafsson just pump in the air and get really, really hyped. Like, I love that. I think we need more of that kind of character, more of that dynamic, more of that energy in coaches in women's football because it gets people excited. We want to know about the personalities, not just of the players, but of, of the people who are helping the players to be the best versions of themselves as well. Also, Caitlin Ford came back, which is great. It's just good to see Ford back playing. She didn't play in the Island game. We know how influential she was last WSL season. And now she gets a real fight on her hands in terms of trying to once again establish herself as one of their first choice wide players because Beth Mead's been fantastic. Cave's been sensational. Nikita Paris can play anywhere in that in that forward mix. And so can Caitlin Ford. So like but now we've depth. got the addition of Tobin Heath and Mana Iwabuchi who's also been played in a wide position. Like Caitlin Ford's really got this season cut out for like, she's going to have to really try and crack into this team now. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a good challenge because she, she underperformed at the Olympics. And I think that this is the season where she needs to rebound from that. She needs to respond to that. She needs to take a game to another level. I feel like last season she was maybe given a bit of an easier run of it because there were so many injuries that meant she was able to sort of skate through and be given those starting opportunities basically because there was no one else. And then she was fantastic. And she was fantastic. Absolutely. She was one of the top scorers in the league. She, she obviously, she did everything that we love Kate and Ford doing, but I think now she's in a position where she needs to be better than that. 
she needs to find another aspect of herself, another another element to her game, another level that she can rise to in order to crack into this Arsenal side because, as we're saying, it's completely stacked. There was another thumping this weekend, Chelsea 6, Man United 1. What happened in this one? I feel like we were all kind of watching it. There were some messages in the group chat. What's... <laughs> Do we want to do we want to talk about it from how good is Chelsea or do we want to talk about it as what has Mark Skinner done to Manchester United? I think the latter. I think Skinner, you know, Skinner is coming into this Man United side off the back of a pretty poor going with Orlando and you could tell with that Orlando side who had some really good players that they were being asked to play a type of a type of football and in a system that didn't suit them. And I feel like the last, the, the, the first couple of games of Man United I have shown similar symptoms to that Orlando team. And this game against Chelsea was the perfect example. The back line was responsible basically for at least four of the goals that they conceded because Skinner insists on them playing out from the back. But the, the players that they have there, and also because they have lost a couple of players from last season, that back line is not necessarily super experienced, nor are they necessarily super technical. So he's asking them to do more than what they're capable of. And you saw the consequence of that when it happens too soon, when they're not ready. There were so many turnovers. There were so many technical mistakes from individual players. That And like of all the front lines that you would make these errors against as a defender, it is not this one. It is not Sam Kerr, Peniel Harder and Fran Kirby because they will punish you in the same way that Arsenal would, you know. So I, I blame Skinner quite a bit for this because this is a system and a philosophy of football that he is implementing into this team. He's insisting that they play them. They play this style when he probably knows that they're not ready. And his theory perhaps is just throwing them into the deep end and hoping that they swim. Clearly they did not swim in this game. They sank pretty quickly. And so I'm curious now to see how he's going to respond to that. Because as a head coach, if you don't have the players capable of playing the type of football that you want, it's not the players that need to change. It's you. Also, how good was the Penella Harder goal? She just picked it up from like halfway and just went, yeah. see ya. Yeah. Oh, there were people that doubted I could do it in this league. Oh, see ya. Bye, bye, bye. She and just then ran just the past finish. him. It was, but the finish was The finish audacious. was unbelievable. He did yeah. this amazing run. And then to just a little dink that she just had to wait perfectly. Like that is the sort of thing that the best players in the world can do and no one else can. Like to go on the run and then to have the composure to finish like that. It was just incredible. Like what a player. Um, and we love Sam Kerr, we love Frank Kerr, but geez, she is just class. Like, as if those... I mean with the defensive thing as well, Harry, like she just ran past them. Like as a central <laughs> defender, surely that moment you're in your brain, you're like, I have to stop this. This woman is has been voted the best player in Europe a number of times. I need to stop this. I need to put a foot in, even if it means a yellow card, I need to put a foot in. But they just let her run past. This is what I mean. Like, you can't, what are you doing? Also, Jesse Fleming's for the Jesse Fleming's goal. Yay! And Spence, Spence. I think that was a debut goal for Spence. It was it was quite a nice like array of goals for this game. Not gonna lie, Chelsea were on form. And that's that on that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we've also we've discussed the FAWSL, but we've got some midweek action. We've got the FA Women's Cup quarterfinals 
from last season's cup. It's confusing, but it's fine. The fixtures we will be looking out for because we've got a few Aussies. We've got a North London derby. We've got Man City taking on Leicester, Chelsea taking on Birmingham, and then Charlton Brighton as the final quarterfinal. So really interested to see how our Aussies go, if they feature and what kind of happens. We love a good cup competition. So we'll keep our eyes peeled on that one. Quick boot, Harrow, a very quick boot. Chloe Legazzo confirmed this week that she did tear her ACL um, in that game against Ireland. I think we all feared that might be the case. She has confirmed it, so that's effectively a year on the sidelines. Um, just devastating for her. She had, a, I think, a pretty rough year in terms of Bristol not really working out, that delayed, protracted move to um, the US that didn't let her play in those initial Matildas games. Injuries, like, it's just not been, I think, a great year football-wise for for poor Chloe, um, and this probably just tops it off. Um, and as I, I think I said last week, Tony Gustafson said she'd been sparkling before that injury happened. So, yeah, obviously you'd think that will mean um, knee reconstruction, close to a 12-month period on the sidelines. I guess if there's one positive, it's the timing. Um, this rules are out, you'd think, until, what, September, October 2022, which means she should theoretically be able to build up some form and build up some football in time for um, the World Cup. Um, It'll be interesting to see how she does that because you'd think the timing might not work necessarily in terms of NWSL. Will she look to come to the W League? I mean, all those decisions are going to be a long way in the future for Chloe Legazzo. But, yeah, um, a boot for Chloe Legazzo's injury. um, But she is one player that is one of the most professional, dedicated and hardworking footballers, as well as one of the nicest people in Australian football. And I think you can very, very safely back her to do everything in her power to come back, if not just as good, then even better than before. So all the best to Chloe. Absolutely. Hoping for the speediest recovery possible. Let's get into some how good. My how good this week is a celebration. It's a celebration of the centenary of the first recorded official women's football match in Australia, which occurred uh, on the 24th of September, 1921. So last Friday was the centenary of this game. It's a really important moment in the history of the sport here. Um, I wrote a, a long researched piece for ABC, which uh, addressed the, the sort of the main um, I guess, stages, the main chapters in this this long 100-year history. It started in 1921 between two teams, North and South Brisbane, at the Gabba up in Queensland. Um, it was an hour long, this game. The result was 2-0 to North Brisbane. One was scored a penalty that was scored by a 16-year-old named Jean Campbell. Um, it was wedged between two men's games, but what was so impressive about it was that they drew 10,000 people to the game. It was advertised, it was supported, it was given a platform. Women had played football previous to that, but they'd never played it in this way. It had never been a formal, official, sort of seriously public game in this way. So what I really loved was Football Queensland had put a lot of effort into building up towards this centenary event. They had a match where they recreated that that first game as well. They had players wearing red and blue jerseys. They were wearing caps. They, they looked the part. It was beautiful. They had a, a whole event with guest speakers. They had lots of memorabilia, old jerseys, and a presentation from uh, Lee McGowan, who was one of the co-authors of Never Say Die, the 100-year the overnight success of women's football as well. 
And across the country, lots of state federations and Football Australia really got behind it as well and put together some fabulous um, celebrations of, of this moment. So, I mean, my, my how good basically is just like how good that we are here at the, at, the, at the crux of this moment now, being able to reflect on the past 100 years of work of all of these women, these unacknowledged women in sport who have built this game to allow us four to sit here and talk about it in the way that we can, to talk about the Matildas, to talk about the dub, to talk about all of this stuff that a hundred years ago they never would have dreamed of. How lucky are we time? All of that love to know that they were building something that they would never be able to relish in themselves, something that was always going to leave a legacy long after they were gone. How lucky are we that we get to sit here and bask in that? So my how good is basically just it's fabulous to sit here and to be part of this larger story with you three, with everyone who's listening and with the past hundred years of women in football. And I really hope that the next hundred years are going to be just like what they were when those women first started, where we're sitting here and we can't actually imagine what the next hundred years are going to look like because it's just so completely out of our brains, out of our imaginations. And it's the game has gone so far but we know that we've contributed in our own small way to, to getting it there. So, so I'm getting a little bit emotional about it because the history of the women's game is, is really important. It's important to me and it's important, I think, for a, a lot of people to, to really acknowledge and to understand how difficult it was for us to get here at all, you know, and how special it is, how rare and how valuable it is that we're here at all. So I, I really hope that a lot of people go back and, and they, they read all the fabulous stories that came out from, from clubs, from federations, from people in the media who, who really tried to celebrate that moment on Friday um, and to tell those, those untold stories and to unearth some of that history because it really does matter. In order to really fully appreciate what we have now, it's, it's important that we look back and we see how we got here. So I just, I don't know how to cap that off, but women's football, how good. How good. How good. We've gone around in a circle. <laughs> the absolute biggest. How good. And I'm not going to add anything more to that. So let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was a big one. There was a lot to take in. So thank you for listening. Remember, we're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google, wherever you get podcasts, really. If you like what we do, subscribe leave a nice review, leave a mean review, whatever you want to do. It's all G. We're at the far post, but they're shaking their heads. Please don't leave a mean review. Only no mean nice review, reviews. only nice. <laughs> <laughs> only leave nice reviews, please and thank you. But if you want to talk to us, we're at the far post pod on all social media. But until next week, see yous.